We will continue in 1 Kings this morning. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, picking up a little bit to review for last week where we were. If you were not with us, Elijah, in his great discouragement, makes a pilgrimage and goes to a mountain to seek the presence of the Lord and there is greatly encouraged by the Lord. The Lord meets him there and gives him what he needs. He is refreshed in his soul. But the last part, verses 15 through 18 in chapter 19, are about the Lord giving him commands. He refreshes his soul, but then he says, Elijah, I have more for you to do. And the Lord always has more for us to do. All of us would love to stay in a place of retreat. Go up on the mountain, stay up on the mountain. Hang up on the mountain and enjoy the view and enjoy the relaxation and the refreshment. But it's always the case that in this life, the Lord has work for us to do, fruitful labor. Paul said it, I would rather to depart and be with Christ. This is better by far. But I know that I will remain with you because there is fruitful labor yet for me to do. And so Paul kept laboring and Elijah keeps laboring. He gives him three things to do. He says, I want you to go and anoint Hazel, the king, a new king over Syria. I want you to anoint Jehu, a new king over Israel, which means he is displacing Ahab as the king. Ahab's wickedness is done. His time has expired, and Elijah is to go and anoint a new king over Israel. And third, I want you to anoint Elisha, the one who is going to follow you in your ministry. And I want you to bring him alongside of you and begin to train him and strengthen him that he might continue on your ministry. And so this is where we begin in verse 19. So I would ask you to stand, please, to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning, 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So he, is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh and with the yokes of the oxen gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So our passage this morning begins with obedience to God's command. And we shouldn't miss that. We often take this for granted with Bible stories and Bible characters that they actually do what God tells them to do. So he goes up on this mountain and God says, I want you to do this and this and this. And it is a constant and regular marker of all Christian people that love the Lord that they obey his commands. When we encounter the commands of the Lord in Scripture and they strike our heart and we know that we ought to do them, it is vitally important that we do them, that we obey. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we all know that. We know that from dealing with our children. If we ask them or tell them, give them a command, and they say, oh, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and they go out and don't do one thing that you just said, we know that it is a marker that they don't really love us. Because if they loved us, then they would obey our commands. And when we love the authority of our parents, and when we love the authority of God, we follow after his authority. 
And so Elijah, by faith, because every single one of these things are scary things, anointing two different kings and then deciding, hey, your ministry is about to be over, so I'm handing your ministry over to somebody else. All of this is not easy, but he goes and he obeys the will of the Lord. And so remember, he is in the south, past uh, Judah, but he is sent to Damascus to anoint a new king in Syria, which is north of Israel. So he is now passing from the south up through the north. And as he passes through, he anoints Elisha as the prophet to follow after him. And so there's five things I'd like to point out about the calling of Elisha to ministry. And I understand that this is specifically talking about a calling to ministry. And I understand that most of you here will not be called to vocational ministry. But I believe that some of you will. I say this often. I believe that some of you will be called to missionary service. And some of you will be called to pastoral service. Some of you already have responded to that call to pastoral service. And so what do we see here in this calling with Elisha? Because I think there are many parts of this that are similar to every call of ministry upon a person's life. The first thing that it is unexpected by Elisha, the call of God upon his life is unexpected. He was not waiting on Elijah to show up. And Elijah didn't send any letter beforehand. He just shows up in this field and throws his cloak over him and says, hey, follow after me. God has a new calling on your life. And I will tell you that that is the way it happened in my life. It's the way it happened in Justin's life. It's the way it happens in every other person's life that gets called to ministry. They're doing what they're doing. And as they're going along, one day the Lord strikes your heart in a different way. And he strikes your heart in a way that says, I want you to do something different than what you have been doing in the past. I want you to do something for me that I have equipped you for and I'm calling you to do. The second thing that we see here is that he is called from the plow, not from the school of the prophets, which I find very interesting. Elisha was a man's man. He is called from plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I don't know what that means, but 12 yoke of oxen plowing, it must have been one whale of a field, but that is a lot of strong animals in a row, and this guy is out working it. So this is a strong man with dirty hands, skilled at his work to control all these animals. He was farming the land. And in the midst of being a working man, the Lord calls him to ministry. God has a purpose in hard work. And I want you to see this, that sometimes we feel like the only path to ministry is you've got to go through Bible college and seminary and a lot of other things. And sometimes that is the case. But many times it's not the case. That God has a purpose in hard work, and diligence is a marker of godliness. I would quote for you Matthew Henry, the old Puritan. He says this, An honest calling in the world does not put us out of the way of our heavenly calling any more than it did Elisha, who was taken from following the plow to feed Israel and to sow the seed of the word of God, as the apostles were taken from fishing to catch men. And so it is that God can call someone from any place of work into the ministry. I don't think that because you went to Bible college or to seminary in a traditional way, don't think that God cannot call you to ministry. And so third, in the calling of Elijah, we see that he is chosen and drawn by God. And we shouldn't mistake or miss the fact that God calls his name 
up on Mount Horeb and says, I want you to go anoint this guy by, by name in this place. He's the one that's the next one to follow after you. God knew his name and God knows your name. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he chooses people for his work and for his purposes according to the time and the plan that he would have for them in. And so Elisha is chosen by name before God. And when Elijah shows up and puts his cloak around him and says, God's got a new calling for you. He doesn't start making excuses. He doesn't throw it off. He doesn't start going in a different direction because he is also drawn by God. And every person that is called of God to enter into missionary and pastoral service and lifelong vocational ministry is drawn by God to it. You know that God wants you to do it, and you just can't escape it. You might run away from it for a while, but the Lord will continue to draw your heart towards it until you obey. It is so with every person, I believe, that is authentically called to service in the church. There is a compelling sense that God is calling your name to a specific ministry. For me, I was walking down a beach called Carrot Island. Some of you have actually walked on the beach of that island. And I was walking on that beach and uh, in the middle of college and struggling with what I felt like the Lord wanted me to do. And I, I wanted to go into the medical not industry, medical field, and, uh, and be something, a doctor, a nurse, whatever, because I, I still think that's such a noble calling, and I love the people that work in that field. But that was not what the Lord had for me. And the verse that I could not escape on that day was 1 Timothy 3.1. He who desires to be an overseer in the church desires a noble thing. And I felt that it was the Lord's will that I enter into ministry and that I serve and help to lead and preach and teach in the church. And it was a calling that I could not get away from. And so I ended up changing my major and, and majoring in something different and then going on and studying at seminary and trying to prepare myself for the work. Those of you that know me know that was not a straight path. Okay, you had a lot of detours that finally led to this place here. And I can tell you, your path won't be straight either. But there is a compelling sense of where you need to go and why you need to go there and that you should keep following that path. And eventually, others come alongside and affirm this calling in your life. But it is a calling that is from the Lord. It's not something that you generate up in your own heart. It's a purpose that he has for your life. Well, the fourth thing about Elisha's calling is that he becomes an apprentice to Elijah. He does not just jump out on his own. It's very interesting. Blessed is the person that feels called to ministry and has the opportunity to work under and alongside other godly people to learn what it means to serve in ministry. And learn, it can follow after in an apprentice type of a way and learning from the wisdom and the mistakes and the guidance of others. And this is what happens with Elisha. He works with Elijah to learn the ways of the Lord. The fifth thing about the call of Elijah, Elisha uh, is that it is an effectual call. It's an effectual call. What I mean by that is that it never ends. We see in the life of Elijah and Elisha and so many other faithful godly people that they are faithful all the way till what? All the way until their last breath, until they die and go and be with the Lord in the case of Elijah, we have this radically unusual event that we'll look at in some weeks. But Elisha follows in the course of all mankind. 
And we see in 2 Kings 18 that he finally one day gets sick with the illness of which he is to die. And this great man of faith, doubly filled with the Spirit of God, is faithful until the very last breath, until he finally is, dies and goes to be with the Lord. I desire this. I pray for this myself. I pray for this for all the men that I know that are in ministry and every person that is filling uh, a pulpit in this country that we would be faithful to the end, that we would never give way, that we would always bear fruit in ministry, increasing in the power of God's spirit until we are taken to be with the Lord. And so it is an effectual call in the life of Elisha. But we see something interesting that's worth pointing out in verse 20. He says, I, I want to go back and say goodbye to my family. And what we get here is, is a sense that he, he goes back and it says he sacrifices and, and then there is a, the people eating as if a, a feast or some type of a farewell meal is given to, to sort of send him off before he goes out in ministry. And this is interesting because this contrasts with what we see in Luke chapter 9, verse 61, where Jesus is calling people, and one of the people that he calls says, I would like to follow you, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And Jesus says that this is an excuse, and you are presenting an excuse, and this is a, this is a problem because this person is not wholehearted in seeking after the Lord. And so we have the same thing happening in both cases, but so I think it's important to point out what is, what is happening here. I believe that in the calling of ministry, timing varies. I know a lot of people that have been called to ministry, and the timing, the time of life, the, 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 the way in which their course took them into ministry is different for almost every person. But the heart is the same. The heart is without excuse. The heart is desiring to serve the Lord and striving to serve the Lord and keeps working and keeps looking at the circumstances around them until they are able to do what God has called them to do. And at some point, they are able to enter into the fullness of what the Lord would have for them to do. And so if you know that God is calling you to ministry, the important thing is to not run from these things. Jonah is the great character in the Bible, the infamous character in the Bible that runs away from the calling of God, intentionally goes the opposite direction. And this is what we must not do when the Lord calls us. So I've spent some time speaking to you about Elijah and the calling of Elisha to ministry. And I'm never going to stop that calling. I'm calling you this morning, reminding you that we still have a vacancy for two people to go serve in Rwanda, to disciple and share the gospel, preach the gospel in that foreign nation. And that maybe one day God will call two people to serve in that place. And I'm calling for you now, reminding you of it this morning. I'm calling to you about pastoral church ministry. We're, we're in the midst of planting a new church in Stafford up the road and Justin has already responded to that call, a call that he did not expect five years ago that he'd be pastoring a church. But the call has come upon his life, and he has said yes, and Molly, his wife, has said yes, and they're going to do what God's called them to do. And many other people are now coming around them to encourage and strengthen them, and we're seeing what the Lord is doing there. And we believe that the Lord is going to have us as a church plant other churches beyond this, and there will be others of you that say yes to the call of ministry and go out and preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world may know of his salvation. However, I want to expand this discussion because what about all the rest of us? What has God called us to do or you to do? 
through the Middle Ages and through the Roman Catholic Church, it was a wrong misunderstanding was put out that the only calling of God was a calling of ministry. And that if you weren't serving the Lord in ministry, in church ministry, then you really weren't serving the Lord. And so if you really wanted to serve the Lord, you would become a minister in the church. And I had some misconceptions about that myself when I was younger, that if you are truly devout, then you're going to end up being a pastor in a church. But that is not true. Our church is full of passionately devout Christian people whose calling is not to be a minister in the church. And so one of the great things that came out of the Reformation was this right understanding of the Bible called vocation, that we can serve the Lord radically and faithfully and for his glory and as a part of the fulfilling of the Great Commission in the work that God has given us to do as a specific labor that we are gifted to. And so I want to spend some time uh, exploring this this morning. Each Christian, I believe, is given talents and abilities by the Lord. And we know that we're different. You know people in this audience, and we are different from each other. I, I couldn't play this guitar if my life depended on it. But there are some of you in this audience that are very musical at what you do. Some of you that are very mathematical. Some of you that are able to build and craft things with your hands that others of us cannot do. Others of you are outstanding and working with children and teaching and compassionate and medical and things that are varied gifts. And this is not by accident. In the Christian life, we don't believe that any of these things are accidental. But the Lord creates and instills qualities in people for specific purposes. And these talents and abilities suit them for a particular work. And so part of what we're going to explore this morning is that if you are working in a way that is counter to what you are suited for, it's going to create struggle in your life. But when you are working a vocational job that is suited for the way in which God has made you, there's a good fit there. And in that good fit, you are able to most glorify the Lord. Because when you go to work and you're good at what you do and you enjoy what you do and you gladly give glory to God, it is good for the community and it is a way for you to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so there are two key verses in this. And I'd like for you to note and perhaps look with me at these two verses. The first is 1 Corinthians 7, 17. 1 Corinthians 7, 17 says this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Let each person live out the life that God has assigned to him and called him to. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Do you understand that God has a, a purpose and a place for you in life and that it's very possible that the job that you are working right now is exactly where God wants you and that he's put you there for a purpose and that he has in fact assigned to you that lot in life and called you to it? If we look at this and understand this, what we must understand as Christians is that we are not just wandering in life. God had a purpose for Elijah. God had a purpose for Elisha. And God has a purpose for you. You are not just aimlessly wandering through this life. God has an ordained direction for your life and an ordained motivation for your work. 
the motivation for your work comes from Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 is this other pivotal verse in this situation. It says this, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Not some things, not on Sunday, not when it's convenient, but whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and do it with thanksgiving. This means when you go out into the workplace tomorrow and do whatever it is that you are doing, that you should be doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus, that people should know that you are a Christian, that it should be done with thanksgiving, that it should be done in his name, that whatever task is before us, we are actively serving the Lord in it. We are actively serving the Lord Jesus in the work that we are doing. Whether it's an engineer, or whether we are in sales, and whether you're a teacher, or a nurse, or law enforcement, or a homemaker, or military service, or a builder, or a landscaper, or a mechanical technician, whatever it is, as a Christian, you should seek to be actively serving the Lord in whatever you do, because you see it as a sense of mission, a sense of calling, a sense of vocation that the Lord has given to you. So I would ask you, is this how you work every day? Do you go to work with this mentality? Or do you go to work dreading every second of it? Do you go in and take on the same attitude as the rest of the world? And we know what the world's attitude is. The world's attitude is whining and complaining about everything, undercutting the boss, gossiping against your coworkers, counting down the days until you can quit this job and go do something else. And it's incredibly negative and draining. And it has nothing to do with the glory of God and certainly does not bear witness to the glory of Jesus Christ. We as Christians are not to be this way. If I asked your coworkers and employees around you, how about so-and-so, how about such-and-such, do you know that they're a Christian? They'd either, would they either say, I had no idea, or that guy is the worst, or that woman is the worst Christian I've ever seen. Like, they're, they don't, they don't, I, nothing about them resembles Christ. That is not what we want to see. We want to actively live for the Lord Jesus in the workplace, knowing that we come bearing light in the name of Christ. I was just reading yesterday about Daniel, that great character, and how he's characterized as a person who came bearing light. Wow, that, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's how we should be as we come into the meeting room or we come into whatever. People know that there is something about us that resembles Jesus Christ, even if they don't know him at all. This is not the norm for work, folks, and you all know this. What is the norm for work, both in our day and in every day in the past? This is nothing new to the world, because we're warned about it in Scripture, because nothing changes about the heart of lost humanity. The driver for lost people in work is simply to accumulate money and to then use that money to entertain themselves and hopefully be able to stop working so that they can just do whatever they want to do. None of it has any spiritual goal or spiritual end to it. It's all about seeking to get away from work through the accumulation of wealth. I'm telling you this morning that God gives you your work to give you purpose in your life, to use the gifts that he's given to you and intentionally put you around lost people so that you can affect them. This is a part of vocation and it's a complete shift from what the world would have you to think about work. 
Work is given to you for a purpose, and that work is related to the way that God has made you as a person. And that, in fact, seeking after wealth as the primary driver of work, we've seen it over and over and over in the Gospel of Luke, that seeking to get rich is what? It's a snare to the soul. And it actually hinders us from entering into the kingdom of God. And so if that is your primary hope and focus and seeking work is just to make more money so you can be rich and entertain yourself and hopefully get rid of this job one of these days, you're missing God's purpose in your life and work. We should not forget 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through craving This craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. What a powerful verse. The word craving is interesting. And some people, man, they, they do. They crave the things of this world. They'll do anything to get more of the things of this world. And if they don't have those things, they feel radically inadequate. And they're always competing with and seeking to have more than the person next to them. And they'll do anything to get those things. And as they strive after them, literally their own striving pierces themselves through with all manner of sorrows and destroys their life. And God help us, we should not be this way as Christians. If your daily work is just about making money to get what you want, I am telling you that there is a reason why your work is not satisfying. Because the way in which you're going about your work is empty and dead in the way that this world sees work. This is not the case. We should be seeking the vocation that God has designed for you to fill, to glorify God. And so let's look at this a little bit. Theologian John Frame gives us four ways of helping us to narrow down the vocation that God may have for us and helping us to understand where God would have us to be and how he would have for us to work. God gives gifts to us, talents, desires, and abilities. This is number one, the first of four. God gives us gifts and talents and abilities. So there are some of you that are very detail-oriented. There are some of you that just love to be outside. There are some of you that are very musical. There are some of you that are great with computers. There are some of you that just love hard manual work. There are some of you that are great managers of people, all kinds of things. These are gifts and abilities that you should see and begin to recognize in your own life, which leads us to number two. The Holy Spirit enables us to discern what these gifts are. The Holy Spirit begins to enable us to discern what these gifts are. And now this is separate from distinct spiritual gifts. These are talents, ways that God has made us. And through self-examination, through church confirmation, through family, we begin to know ourselves. And this is right and helpful as parents. When you're raising young people and you look at your son or your daughter and you see that they are a free spirit, you know, and encouraging them to enter into a super detail-oriented office job is probably not a good fit. If they are super detailed and meticulous and encouraging them to go into some field that relates to that is helping them to discern their gifts and what God would have for them to do and get them into a place that is going to work well with the way that God has made them. And so the Holy Spirit enables us to discern these things. Third, God provides opportunities to develop these gifts. So we begin to see things in ourselves other people begin to affirm those things in our life, 
And then we begin to look for opportunities, and God creates opportunities for us to put those things to work. And those come in different ways. As a young person, it may be schooling, it may be an apprenticeship. If you are midlife or later in life, it may be a total career change where you know that you're working a job that makes no sense and you're miserable and you start praying about it. God, help me. This is just not where I need to be. And we're going to talk about that more in a moment. And then lo and behold, the Lord opens a door, an opportunity for you to go from a, a management desk job that you hate to being a contractor and doing something that you've always wanted to do. And then the Lord blesses the business. Well, number four is this. By God's wisdom, we use those gifts to glorify him, share the gospel, obey his will, and enjoy him forever. So by God's wisdom, we start to use the giftedness that God's given to us to glorify his name. And I think the way to shorten this is that a good fit at work is easier to be a good witness at work. When you enjoy what you're doing and you're good at what you're doing, it's much easier to be a good witness at work because you're not grinding against what you are doing. And so we've talked a little bit about two different things, calling to ministry and serving God in your vocational work. And so to close up this morning, I want to I look at a little bit of practical advice try to help you if you if you feel like you're out of step in your work and you're or you and you're not content with what you're doing what are some practical advice here well i think first if you are disappointed disappointed and frustrated with your job which which many many people are the first thing to do is to go back to the verse in colossians that we are called to do everything as unto the lord with thanksgiving and joy in our heart. No matter what job you are working now, you've got to go into that job tomorrow with an authentic desire to work that job as unto the Lord. Do Put away the griping, put away the complaining, put away the gossip, and call out to God to help you to be a Christian person, a Christ-like person in the way that you do the job that you have right now. Start there. And as you have done that and you begin to do that, then you can begin to look at vocational clarification. When you begin to look at, man, is this a good fit or is this not a good fit? You start to talk to your spouse. You start to talk to trusted advisors in your life. And if everybody around you says, man, this job doesn't make any sense, then that's the time to start praying about something different and looking for something different and waiting for the Lord to open a door of opportunity. And we go down this road that John Frame laid out. But we worked to make a change. But as we are working to make a change, it must be clear that we glorify God where we are. And we start from honoring Christ where we are, and we go out from there to perhaps a better fit. I'd like to speak to young people this morning. Where are you, young person, teenager, college student? What's your view of work? Are you viewing work like this, a vocational concept? I am going to go and honor the Lord with the work of my life and believe that the Lord is going to provide for the needs of my life, but it's not just a job. It's not just a way to make money. It's a way to serve the Lord in this world and to go out and be an ambassador for Christ in the world. I want you to see your work in that way. 
It's not just a way to make money. And so when you go and you train and you look for what is a good fit for me and my personality and how I am and who God has made me, and you go after school and the work that school is and the work that work is, that's why they call it work, that you have a sense of purpose in your life, that you are doing something greater than just doing another shift, just getting another degree, but you are doing something that is going to take you into the purposes that God has for your life. And the third group that I'd like to mention in practical advice is the retired people. There's a lot of retired people in our area, uh, a lot of retired people in this world. The Lord, the, this, this country has been greatly financially blessed where people are able to put down work. What's next? What is that chapter? There can be 20 years worth of working and living beyond, retire, during, beyond retirement age. Do the values of God change after retirement, that after we put down the original vocation we have, that it's just fine to take up the pursuit of wealth and nonstop self-indulgement and entertainment? Is that, is that what God would have us to do in our retirement years? And the answer is no, emphatically no. That the Lord would have us perhaps to enter into a different phase of life, but it is a time of wisdom a time of service, a time of teaching. And I am so pleased and so thankful with a number of people that I'm not going to embarrass by calling them out, but are sitting in this audience right now this morning that are radically using their retirement years in ways that are honoring the Lord, both in the church and in the workplace. And it's encouraging that they take hold of those years in an intentional way to honor the Lord Jesus and to fulfill the great commission and use what God has given them for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, God has a purpose for your life. Like Elisha and like Elijah, he is working in your life. Whether it's work in the church or work in the world, may it all be done for the glory of Christ May it all be light in the darkness of this world. May we all bear witness to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, that the world may know that salvation is open to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together, and thank you for this word from your word about calling, about work. We thank you for the example of Elisha saying yes to that calling, to going out and until his dying breath, serving you in the way that you called him. And I pray for every man and woman in this place this morning, every young person, especially our young people and especially our retired people, that we would each look to our hearts today as to what God has called us to do, that we would not just spend our time in seeking after money and entertainment, but that we would have a great sense of missional service in our life in seeking after those that don't know Christ, that we might glorify God every day by being those that rejoice and give thanks in Christ and come and bring light into darkness of the workplace every day. Help us, Lord, to know the way to do these things. Help clarify our path as it is difficult often to know what you would have us to do. We love you, Jesus. We want to serve you. We want to live for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.